Jacob's Wells Media presents Strange Tales from Humble Life by John Ashworth. Narrated by John McDonough. Emmet. As you enter the town of Oldham from the Mumps Railway Station near the Baths in Union Street, there is a small cottage numbered 60. For many years the windows of this cottage had been filled with cigars, tobacco, fruit, sweetmeats, sporting papers, and infidel publications. But on the Sabbath the window was decked out with all possible attention to allure and corrupt the old or young people in the neighborhood. Having a Sabbath engagement in Oldham, I informed the gentleman in whose house I was staying on the Saturday evening that I should probably let myself out early in the morning to take a quiet walk through the streets to have a little conversation with the stragglers and groups of street loungers and try if I could induce some of them to get washed and attend a place of worship. Passing down Union Street about seven the following morning, I came to this open toffee shop. A middle-aged woman was on her knees, washing the doorstep. Wishing to speak to her, I stooped down and said, My good woman, have you any money in the savings bank? The woman rose from her knees with the floor cloth in her hand, and looking at me in the face, said, "'Whatever made you ask me that, felly?' "'Well, missus,' I replied, "'I have been asking that question of many Sunday shopkeepers for the last twenty years, and I have never found one that had saved anything. They are all a poor, poverty-stricken lot, and I am anxious to know if you are like the rest I have seen.' "'Us ought saved?' "'Nay, not us. I wish we had,' she again replied. Just then a tall, thin man came across the street, and looking me rather fiercely in the face, said, "'What are you saying to my wife?' "'Well, sir, if this be your wife, I have been asking her if you have any money in the bank,' I replied. "'Ah!' "'You are one of the black coats, are you? "'Where is your white choker?' he asked. "'I do not happen to have one on at present, "'but I have a black coat of good Yorkshire cloth. "'Just rub your hand down the sleeve and feel how smooth it is.' "'This playful expression on my part rather changed his temper, "'but again addressing me with an important air, he observed, "'You have caught a tartar this morning, "'and one that has had many a twist with such chaps as you, "'for if there is aught I delight in, it is to choke a parson. "'I wish I could choke them every one, "'so that they could never speak again.' "'What sort of a tartar are you?' I asked. "'My name is Emmet, a well-known secularist of thirty years' standing.' "'Then I am not surprised at your keeping a Sunday shop "'and wanting to strangle parsons,' I replied. "'Say what you will. "'I shall keep this little shop open when I like, "'and I have a good reason for keeping it open on the Sunday, "'and I can clinch it with an argument you cannot touch.' "'Well, what is your clincher? 
"'Why, that I can make about two shillings out of the goods in that window today, "'and two shillings are two shillings. "'If I was to go to the guardians for two shillings, "'I might have to stand waiting two hours and be snubbed in the bargain.' "'Well, sir, I admire your spirit as regards going to the guardians.' "'for I have no patience with persons going for parish relief that can help it. "'Some are forced to go, but many go that might do without it, "'if they would only make an effort. "'But I think your argument a very lame one, "'for Sunday shopkeepers are far more likely to find their way to the poor house in the long run "'than persons that honour the Sabbath. "'Why, how do you make that out?' "'Well, sir,' Here you have your fruit, toffee, and penny cigars, to say nothing about your infidel books, tempting Sunday school scholars, and inducing them to do what their parents and teachers warned them against doing. You sell these cigars and tobacco to mere boys, helping them to form degrading habits, and thereby injuring your neighbor's children. The consequence will be that respectable people will not trade with you any day, for depend upon it, society is a social compact. Despise and snub society, and it will despise and snub you. Respect and smile at it, and it will respect and smile at you. To make this more clear, did you ever see a six-foot looking-glass? Yes, many a one. Well, the next time you see one, stand before it, clench your fist, and with a look of defiance say, Who cares for you? And you will see one with clenched fist and defiant look saying, Who cares for you? But if you smile and say, Good morning, my friend, I wish you prosperity, you will see one smiling in return and wishing you prosperity. Now, sir, this is society. "'and what you measure to it, you will have measured back. "'A man must in this respect reap what he sows.' "'During this conversation we had entered the house. "'He folded his arms, leaned against an old mangle, "'and seemed in a deep study. "'Then, looking at his wife, said, "'Do you hear what this man says, lass?' I think there is some weight in it, for I have been snubbing and defying society for the last thirty years, and it has nearly snubbed us both into the workhouse. I think I will try smiling. Here goes. And Emmett swept toffee, tobacco, cigars, and infidel papers all out of the window, putting them on the top of the mangle, and pulled down his blind his wife staring at him with the greatest astonishment all the while. While Emmett's wife was gazing at him in wonder, I was watching his proceedings with pleasure, and when he had finished, I said, Well done, and depend upon it, you will be commercially a gainer. Now, if you keep a correct account of your dealings, I shall all well be coming this way again, and I dare venture to make up all you lose if you will give me your gains. And now, 
What do you say to going to some place of worship? Nay, nay, your looking-glass argument has knocked me down, for I believe it. But no churches or chapels for me. Oldham folks will be amazed enough to see the shop shut up, but they will never see me in a church. I see by the bills on the walls that John Ashworth of Rochdale is going to preach in the chapel at the end of the street. I did think once of going to hear what that chap had to say. I have read his Wilkins, Sanderson, and Niff and his dogs, and long for a chance of just meeting that meddling fool. Well, sir, if you will get ready, I will call on you about the time, and we will go together. No, no, chapels and churches are not in my line. I wish they were all in ruins. Besides, my Sunday jump is in the pop-shop, and I shall not go in these rags. When I returned to the house at which I was staying, and during breakfast recounted to the gentleman and his wife the adventures of the morning, more especially my conversation with Emmet, they were greatly surprised and pleased. I expressed a wish that he might be visited by a few judicious friends to encourage him giving up his Sunday trading, and I thought it possible that he might yet be induced to attend some place of worship. This was done by Messrs. Mortimer, Hibbert, and others, for they all became interested in Emmet's case. How mysterious are the ways of him whose pathways are in the deep! With infinite love and pity, he looks on our fallen humanity, and though there is no other name by which we can be saved but the name of Christ Jesus, yet many and various influences are at work intended to bring wicked men to seek salvation in that name, and to trust in the goodness of God. Bruce, the traveller, when dying in despair on the arid sands of the Abyssinian desert, was led to trust in God's providence from seeing a small green plant blooming amidst the sands. Linnaeus, the naturalist, fell on his knees before the common English gorse, and thanked God he had been spared to see this additional evidence of his wisdom. I know a poor woman who, almost broken-hearted with sorrow, sat weeping beside a well. A little girl was plucking daisies and bluebells, and singing, Come to Jesus. The woman heard the child's song, knelt down, and sought comfort from that Jesus of whom the child was singing, and from that day became a happy Christian. The singing of a lark was amongst the influences that melted down the haughty spirit of Emmet. Soon after my visit, he was walking through Oldham Park. A lark was just rising from the ground. He watched it as it rose higher and higher, warbling its sweet notes as it ascended, till it became a mere speck in the clear blue sky. 
"'Yes,' said Emmet to himself, "'yon little bird is filled with song and joy, "'while I am miserable and wretched. "'This winged creature, a mere thing of instinct, "'warbles and basks in the sunbeam, "'answering the purposes of its existence, and is happy. "'But I, a rational creature, am gloomy and sad of heart.' How is this? If there be a God, he must have as much regard for my happiness as for the happiness of that bird. That bird sings its song without snubbing or insulting its fellows or denying its maker. It needs not to look into the six-foot glass to teach it that like must produce like. These reflections brought tears, and Emmet caught himself offering up a prayer that he too might answer the purpose of his existence and become a happy man. And strange as it may seem, that prayer was the verse of a hymn taught him by his mother, a mother that had offered many prayers for her wayward son. But for thirty years he had never even thought of it. But now, that mother's verse. Come, Holy Spirit, from above, Impart thy gift of grace and love. Visit me with celestial fire, And with thyself my soul inspire. Became the involuntary language Of a burdened soul. The Sabbath following found Emmet in the house of prayer. Again and again he sought the sanctuary, and in tears of penitence besought him whom he had denied and insulted to have mercy upon him and pardon the most guilty of all guilty sinners. He was in this state of mind when he sent me the following letter. 60 Union Street, Oldham, October 24th, 1864. Kind friend, I little thought when you came to my door the other Sunday morning that I should have so soon to plead for God's mercy, me that had so often denied his existence. But such is the fact. Oh, Mr. Ashworth, that I could but undo the injury that my principles and conduct have done. I might have some hope of yet being happy. Had it not been that the Lord directed you to my house, I should have been lost. Will you pray for me, and if you can, soon come to see me? Yours very sincerely, Richard Emmett. On my calling to see Emmett, I was much surprised to find him so greatly changed. He requested me to remain with him as long as I possibly could, and take down in writing what he wanted to say. He then gave me the following sketch of his wayward life, which I give in his own words. My earliest recollections are connected with Skipton and Craven, then I went to the Sunday school, but left when ten years of age. 
When about twenty, I lived in Bradford, and it was then I became an infidel from reading Carlyle's Destructive. I joined the Chartists, bought a gun and bayonet, but had to flee from the neighborhood to escape imprisonment. I enlisted for a soldier and had to stand guard over the jail containing three of our leaders, Frost, Williams, and Jones. This I did not like and deserted. I traveled six hundred miles in women's clothes, but was caught and am now marked with the letter D. I came to live in Manchester and joined a company of low-lived infidels and soon became so degraded that my wife left me and came to Oldham. I followed her and again found several of the same class, but calling themselves secularists. About this time I was perfectly savage against everyone professing religion and took every opportunity of insulting them. I would not touch or allow my child to touch the Bible, though I have flogged him because he would not tell a lie. I drove the Bible sellers out of the marketplace by turning all they said into ridicule and laughed and mocked at all the open-air preachers I could find. Many of them, especially young, inexperienced men, I have driven away by asking obscene questions they could not or durst not answer. I once pushed a donkey into a prayer meeting, telling the astonished company that I had brought them a sinner to be converted, that had as much a soul as any of them. I was once sick, and at my sister's request a minister came to see me. He was taking out his Bible to read, but I told him to put away the cursed book and find me two flannel shirts, which would do me more good than all the Bibles or prayers in the world. He replied that God could send blessings for the body as well as the soul, but I told him he was a liar, for God did not deal in flannel if there was a God. I never heard a church bell, but I wished the ground would open and swallow up all the churches and chapels with the parsons, and I gloated in keeping open my shop and selling sporting and infidel publications on the Sunday. Such has been my life for thirty years. I have been in many towns, and amongst all classes of infidels, especially the secularists, some of these pretend to be rather more respectable than the old stock of infidels, but they are all a miserable, wretched lot. A withering blight follows aught they take in hand. They are an organization without a head, a body without a substance, denying the existence of a god, and are without faith in man. Rejecting the moral law, they laugh at all moral responsibility, and are only kept in order by the laws of the country. Most secularists are better than their creed, for did they practice what they pretend to believe, society would become impossible.
and I believe with Gordon, one of their late lecturers, that a secularist, to gain his own point, can commit the most horrid crimes, even murder, and be consistent with his principles. It is a mercy that mankind holds their principles in abhorrence, and that such a race of beings are almost extinct. When my eyes were opened, and I saw how great a sinner I was, I felt greatly troubled about the injury I had done to others by the sale of infidel publications, those passports to ruin, and resolved that not one more should pass through my hands or remain in my house. I gathered them all together with the books belonging to myself, costing in all about four pounds. I piled them on the fire, and as I saw them consuming in the flames, I felt as if I was burning the devil, and watched their destruction with the greatest pleasure. Now, thought I, you are done for. Since this change came over my mind, my home is already like a paradise to what it was. Now I have a quiet, peaceable home. Before it was like a bedlam, especially on the Sunday. Then it was filled with all sorts of rabble, talking all sorts of wicked, filthy talk from morning to night. Never was there such a change in a house, and I hope God will have mercy upon me, and pardon my many transgressions. And then it will be a change indeed. It will be bliss here and hereafter, and an immortality of bliss is bliss. Emmet finished this short sketch of his life by requesting me to provide him with a Bible, that he might read it day and night. He also requested that I would couple our names with a date, so that he might often be reminded of the time and circumstances that had brought us together. I cheerfully complied with his request, and one true sign of a real change is the book he once mortally hated, he now loves. But is there not another sign of an amazing change? No sooner does Emmet emerge from the gloomy cavern of infidelity and catch a ray of heavenly light, but he began to talk about an immortality of bliss. The change that Emmet was so troubled and anxious about came at last. He had been very attentive at the means of grace on the Sabbath, and requested he might be allowed to attend a weeknight meeting for Christian experience. From one of these meetings he returned in the deepest distress, and for four days sought mercy in prayers and tears. O Lord, wilt thou not pardon me? If thou wilt not, I cannot be surprised, for I have laughed thee to scorn, and thousands of times insulted the very name of thy dear son that died for me. I have indeed been the chief of sinners, but wilt thou not save me? O oh, do, Lord, do for Christ's sake, that died for sinners, 
do save me. That heartbroken prayer was heard, and again the power of Christ's blood was made manifest in being able to save the chief of sinners. For Emmet became a child of God, a sinner saved by grace. In a letter I received immediately after, in which he gives this prayer and his deliverance, he says, For a moment I felt as if I had left the earth, and that my spirit was soaring aloft into heaven. I felt my faith to be as strong as Samson. My wife says I am happy as a king, but no king is half so happy. This is the brightest day of my life, and now I truly begin to live, for I am a child of God, bought with the blood of the Lamb of God, that taketh away the sin of the world. I hope I shall walk humbly before him, and daily ask his blessing and grace to guide me, and help me to live at peace with all mankind. Emmet's conversion produced great astonishment amongst all those who knew him in Oldham, that the sneering, mocking, scorning, scoffing, Sunday shopkeeping, infidel book-selling, thirty-year secularist should become a Christian astonished all, and greatly pleased many. But it was like a bombshell thrown among his old companions in infidelity. Many of these called to see if what they had heard was true, and found it true indeed. But when it was reported that Emmet was expected to give a public confession of his conversion at the church he attended, many went who are not often found in a place of worship. This service Mr. Mortimer, the minister, opened with singing, prayer, and a short address. Several of the members spoke a few words, but when Emmet rose, with evident nervousness, all eyes were turned towards him, with the most intense interest and in breathless silence. His first words were feeble and tremulous. He spoke of the amazing goodness of God in preserving his life during the many years of his wicked career, and mourned over his many transgressions and the evil he had done to others. He alluded to the mysterious way he had been brought to see his wickedness and folly, but when he spoke of the love of God through Christ in pardoning his sins, he wept like a child. He concluded by declaring that he had enjoyed more real happiness in one hour since his conversion than in all the time he was an infidel. Many that were present were much affected, and wept tears of thankfulness for this additional evidence of the power of saving grace. One poor man, an old acquaintance of Emmet, declared that if he could be as happy as Dick Emmet, he would give all he had, even his donkey and cart. 
My visit to Emmet after the public confession of his faith was to both of us a joyful meeting. He spoke of his deep confidence in God's mercy and love, and his firm conviction that he would sustain him amidst all the persecution and abuse he would probably have to suffer from his old companions. I then took up the Bible and opening at the fifty-third of Isaiah, read, Surely he hath borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. While reading this description of our Saviour's suffering for us, tears streamed down Emmet's face. What love! What love! he exclaimed. And all for guilty sinners, for such as me. Oh, what love! Emmet's prayer at parting was the simple, earnest breathing of a thankful heart. O oh Lord, said he, how good thou art! Never, never can I praise thee enough for what thou hast done for me. What a wicked, wicked man I have been! Yet thou, for Jesus Christ's sake, hast forgiven me. I know I feel thou hast. Christ did carry my griefs and sorrows. He was bruised for me, and by his stripes I am healed. Do help me to praise thee. Oh, do help me to praise thee, and bless all my old companions. Open their dark eyes, and show them the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Do, Lord, do, for my dear Saviour's sake. Amen. On parting, with a face beaming with joy, he said, Do you know I am now admitted a member of the Church? Yes, I am. And now, living or dying, I have the unspeakable honor and pleasure of being a member of a Christian church. Happy day! Happy day! Who could have thought it? Yes, Emmet, who could have thought it? Let none despair, seeing that faith in Jesus can snatch from the very verge of hell such a vile transgressor as the oldham infidel Richard Hammett.